0: That sci-fi love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mart, face evil's mind. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble, and this is The Lantern Cast. Episode 288. That's right, we are talking The Return of the First Lantern, which is Green Lanterns issue number 25 and 26. Uh, (laughs) For those of you wanting to talk... Uh, about the issues within these issues. Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> so, But first, we actually got to cover the content itself. I'm taking 25. Mark is taking 26. Um, uh, I get the, the big beast, which is our extra-sized anniversary issue, which I put in quotation marks. <laughs> um, but uh, the story is called The Return of the First Lantern. Writer Sam Humphreys, Robson Roca is the Pencils. Dale uh, Henriquez is the inks, Alex Lazo colors, Dave Sharp letters, Brad Walker, Drew Hennessy, Jason Wright cover, Brandon Peterson variant cover, and then some other people. <coughs> <laughs> the usual suspects. Oh, by the way, for the record, uh, Final Issue Podcast did talk about my email about uh, what, the, what in the world an editor does. And as it turns out, we do have a right to be upset. Just long story short. But if you want to, go listen to that episode. It's actually really good because they also touch on that and tie it into that whole Howard Chaykin controversy stuff that recently happened. You heard about that, right, Mark?
1: Uh, refresh my memory. I may have, but it's not uh, something that's uh, not going off in my head, the, the gong when you mention it.
0: There was a series that Howard Chaykin uh, is doing for Image, and he did a cover of some dude um, being lynched. And he had genital mutilation and a whole bunch of stuff. So the internet got in a huge uproar about it. Um, it, it was – it was a, I believe it was a Middle Eastern man because they, he had a uh, some sort of sign on him that said like Paki or something for Pakistani. Uh, Paki and then he was lynched in front of a public place and genital mutilation. It was a whole thing. Um, so it was very clear in the follow-up to all that mess that uh, – someone mentioned the idea, someone from image mentioned the whole idea of there even being editors at image was just a foreign concept to them because there shouldn't be editors on creative ventures like that. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, it was a whole can of worms. They pulled the cover and apologized. And then the very next day, Howard chicken was like, I don't apologize for shit. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> so the the it, it was just a very interesting conversation. Uh, but long story short, we do have an, a right to be upset with the uh, editorial team. Less so, <laughs> less. So, well, we'll go. We'll talk about it later. Let's, let's just we'll talk about the issues. Um, so here in the story, we open up with Jessica and Simon and Rainy. Uh, Rami slash Volthoom. Rami. Rami. Maybe. All right. Uh, <laughs> as Mark likes to call him, Me." Uh, yeah,
1: thank God, not for much longer, though. <laughs> uh,
0: they're heading towards the Vault of Shadows, which I was like, as soon as that happened, I was like, wait, this is not at all what it looked like before. And then they mentioned the Vault of Shadows is the sister <laughs> building towards the Chamber of Shadows. So, uh, whatever. Um, uh, at, least, whole- uh, at least they
1: separate it so it's not supposed to be... It's not supposed to be on, you know, Oa, which would give, you, which is like the other things I've already seen in the storyline. Nothing that would have originally been on Oa should frigging exist on Mogo, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. Um, I'm not going to read any of the narrative bubbles here, but I would like you to know, folks, that this entire issue is uh, undercut or overcut, however you want to put it, by Simon writing a letter to Nazir before he leaves earth you know i guess right around the time the whole uh polaris stuff was happening basically he's saying i'm sorry you know we're distant uh i'll be back for your birthday and while all this is happening this is nazir's birthday and simon obviously doesn't show up because of the events of this issue um but that piece of it is less important than actually what happens here in space so just so, just so you know that whole narrative structure is in place they get to the vault of shadows and uh, enter, enter and see a almost um, stasis tubes oh, almost stasis tubes slash um, what are those things when you put like an eyeball or like a, a, a being or, 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 or like a, a little rat or something you preserve it. formaldehyde uh, formaldehyde like tubes uh, this, these little tubes that are that are encasing. The bones, the remnants of the OG Seven Lanterns. One of these uh, little tubes is empty, though. Um, so they go in, then all of a sudden halt, and a old beast-like man wielding a ring and a construct sword uh, named Tyranir? Tyranar I don't know how we'd want to say that. Uh, um, probably... Who- Probably Tyranor. probably Tyraner, maybe. That I would lean towards that. We'll get to it later, guys. But this guy is his origins. He's from Tamaran, the same planet that Starfire's from. Um, so I would, I would just go ahead. I would Tyrunner, Is that what you said? Something yeah. like that.
1: Just, we could just call. We could just call him Ty for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he shows up. Then he notices Baz, Cruz, ha, 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 my old friends, it's been a long time. And then he notices Raimi. He's like, wait, you're no guardian. And all of a sudden Raimi lashes out, uh, takes him down, kind of locks him in some sort of time lock thing because he just kind of freezes in midair. Um, uh, They notice that this guy has a ring. And then 10 billion years ago on the planet Tamaron. We see this guy's origins. He is... uh, He is being brought before the king or the ruler of this particular area uh, on Tamaron because he stole from him. Uh, Then Tyroner loses it and kills everybody. Um, There's not a lot of backstory here, so I'm unsure if he just murdered a bunch of people for the hell of it or... He's being unfairly charged, or or what? You kind of get the feeling that there's some sheisty stuff going on here, but (laughs) there's not a whole lot of information. Suddenly then, another ring comes in and says, Hey, Tyrone of Tamron, you have the ability to overcome great fear. There's a great crisis in the universe, and you are needed. Then meanwhile, today, quote-unquote, in the Vault of Shadows, Raimi opens the vault... Steps in and sees the OG ring. We're talking the ring that was created uh, from the guardians forming the Great Heart. Um, it's the first ring, most powerful ring at all, so he grabs it. Meanwhile, outside, Jess and Simon are kind of talking about what they miss about Earth and so on and so forth. Um, we've been in space since the morning. We went to go find Dr. Polaris. So I miss my sister. I miss my sister, too, and Nazir. It's his birthday. I can't believe I'm going to miss it. And all of a sudden, Raimi comes out. He's like, I've got to show you something. And he tells the story about uh, of the first ring and the first time he saw it. He puts it on and sheds his skin or pops out or whatever. The actual process is not necessarily shown except for he kind of falls to the ground right after he puts it on. Um. But out of the smoke that's rising from Raimi's body comes Volthoom, uh, and then we cut back to ten billion years ago on the planet. Uh, you, does this say you, yo, uh, you Kalu?
1: Which obviously is but related to Brainiac.
0: Correct. This is this is one of the the OG Kalu planets because I believe Kalu is a star system. Of a bunch of, you know, it's one of those types of uh, solar systems or star systems where the planets have similar sounding names. You know, sometimes it'll be like a number and then the the same name or the the numbers change from planet to planet or something like this where it's like, yo, Ya, yo, or yo, yo, Kalu or whatever. Anyways, this woman wakes up. She's late for her job. Uh, she shows up, she's getting blamed for a bunch of people. I'm going to report you, I'm going to report you, I'm going to report you. And because you're kind of already under the assumption that it's a brainiac type culture, you know, it's kind of like, you know, everybody's got to fall in line and has a function and, you know, that kind of a thing. And finally she's pushed over the edge and just says, screw your socks (laughs) and (laughs) throws a a fit and gets fired from her job. Then she's, uh, you know, on a hollow call, I guess, with her mom. Her mom's like, so, you got fired. This is the third job for this month. How are you going to pay your rent? And blah, blah, blah. And she just says, she just kind of hangs up on her mom, goes over to her girlfriend, wife, whatever. Uh, then all of a sudden, uh, Kaja Docks of, let me zoom in here. The D. Yad. Yad Kalu. Uh, you have the ability to overcome great fear. There's a great crisis in the universe. You are needed um then over back in our time in the vault of shadows the Vol, the Jessica and Simon have put Volthoom in a science cell which he easily gets out of they're asking him what's going on what would you do to Remy uh so on and so forth so uh Simon's trying to defeat uh Volthoom or hold him back but his rings not responding you know unknown phenomena And Volthoom says, I am Volthoom, I am the Acolyte of the Spectrum, I am my mother's son. And uh, Simon says, impossible, Necron killed Volthoom. Jessica's freaking out. How's he moving through a construct? Wait, that voice. Volthoom says, Necron tried to kill me. Do you think you can do better? He failed. Back down, Lantern, I am on a mission of salvation. Ten billion years couldn't stop me. Um, Simon says, I never quit. Whoever you are, I'm shutting you down. Uh, And then his ring goes, willpower spiking, and Volthoom says, ring, a dose of pure unfiltered emotional spectrum for the young lantern. And then all of a sudden, influx of emotional spectrum, overload, warning lantern bass, overload, overload, overload. And then his ring explodes off of his finger. Um, He freaks out, understandably. Uh, he's like my ring, my arm. It's un his his um uh, his uh Shield. tattoo. His tattoo there is lit up. Yep. But it's unclear. Are these are these flecks floating off of his arm? Are they embedded in his arm? I'm not really sure what's happening there. Um, but they look, look like, like little a- ethereal like fragments, fle- yeah. fragments uh-huh. of the ring or something or willpower. Jessica then attacks Volthoom. Uh, her ring says jaybird insufficient oxygen for human respiration simon is suffocating jessica says i know your voice i was trapped inside a ring with something that called itself bothum bothum says nothing can kill me now jessica i am immortal and jessica goes oh great we're screwed ring get us out of here all i want to do is save my home jessica is that okay with you because i need your ring to do it not that i need your position permission activate travel lantern then i'll send travel lantern online Voice print recognized. Greetings, Wolfman. It has been 10 billion years since your last jump. Jessica says, what? No, ring. Listen to me. Uh, Jaybird, lo siento. Conflict with uh, unknown programming. There's something else in here. It calls itself the Travel Lantern. Thanks to Rami, there's a little bit of Travel Lantern buried deep in your ring, but uh, but a little bit is all I need. Travel Lantern, take me home. Initializing trans-universal multiverse jump. You're just like the, the Volthum in my first ring. It pushed me to break, be afraid. I'm not afraid anymore. This ring belongs to me. Travel, lantern, activate. Blocked. Insufficient permission. And he freaks out. Jessica stands up, says, this is my ring. I earned it. You can't take it from me. And then her ring says, Jaybird will power spiking. He says, it's mine. She says, ring. Get me and Simon out of here. Uh, Volthoom screams Earth-15, Travel Lantern, and Jessica screams do it now. Travel Lantern activate, um, and then Jessica's ring activating. All of a sudden, Simon and Jessica are gone. Volthoom's wondering where they are, and they're being ripped through the multiverse slash time. They're all Twisty, bendy, weird art constructy—the <laughs> uh, way you see people when they're traveling through some sort of crazy pol- portal. I uh, think Guardians too, <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's it. His it next issue: The Betrayal of the Guardians.
1: And of to course, think. and of course, Nazir, reading Simon's letter just doesn't doesn't really give a shit because Simon just doesn't show up. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, He's got three minutes not to be late for my birthday. Oh, screw him. Uh, all right. So let's take. Okay. So where do we begin with this thing? Um, now as a story, if you if you uh, we could preface the, the both issues with this big umbrella. Like if you don't really care about banging your head against the wall from questionable continuity things, <laughs> if you want to move beyond that aspect of it and just read a, read these issues as kind of like stories, they're not really bad at all. <laughs> but, but but I don't know. Uh. First of, first of all, we have Volthoom's ring, which we know shouldn't be anywhere in that place. Because the last time we saw Volthoom's ring, he was pulling
0: it out of Ganth's throat. <laughs> so why would it be there? Well, Ganth and Sade left uh, and they, exiled themselves. Maybe they somehow found it after Volthoom was defeated and took it to the Vault of Shadows?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Don't forget, the guardians were being slaughtered at that point.
0: <laughs> right, but then after that, after that, they left.
1: Yeah, because Sinestro said, "I'm I'm throwing you a bone. You get out of here." Yeah, they could they could give us a they could give us a retcon to say that's what happened. Without a retcon, it makes no sense. Besides right. the fact that he says it's still here. Which would indicate huh. that it's that he knows that they, he knew that he knew it was there at one point, and it's still there. That doesn't mesh at all because we know where it was the last time we saw it, and we know where it was the last time Volthoom saw it—the same place down friggin' Gansett's throat. <laughs> so there is kind of a there is kind of a problem
0: there with that. Um, Another thing is this uh, I feel is interesting is this issue of convenience here. So one of the uh, one of the origins for one of the Seven Lanterns is that she's from the Third World, right? Yes. Instead of the Fourth World, so she has to do with New Genesis, Apocalypse, blah blah blah. Then we see um, the other guy who's from Mars, uh, and then we see this guy who's from Tamaran, and then we see the other person who's from Kalu. It's like they're 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 doing this roundtable of places we're already familiar with in the DCU. Now, does that do you think that helps in terms of like we can interact with other ancient aspects of the of the DCU, and these are touch points which we would recognize and appreciate seeing, or do you think it, it just muddles things and we may as well just pull random aliens from random places? I can see the the I can see the uh, the third world. Stuff because you know they're going to be going down this new gods route here pretty soon uh, in the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps title. So, in terms of all that, I get that connection. But is it really necessary to tie in Mars, Tamaran, uh, Kalu, so on and so forth?
1: I don't necessarily know if it hurts. I mean, i I could see where they would think that it might be a it might not be a bad way to go to go down the road, at least from a, looking at it from a planet perspective to, to give us planets and worlds that we already know at least a little bit, or the names are going to, you know, resonate even if we don't necessarily, if everybody doesn't necessarily, uh, think to think, you know, doesn't come to mind immediately, but it's like, I know that from somewhere or by the look, like the, like the, you don't have to necessarily even know about the Kolu thing to know that you look at, you see, you see that chick and it's like, Oh, Bra- brainiac. Uh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it hurts. I can't tell you that it necessarily helps. I don't, so, but, I, I didn't have, I didn't have, I didn't have an issue with it. Um th- that. I
0: didn't, I didn't really either, but I was just wondering if it was necessary and or hinders in any way the story by making sure you have so many touch points to the OG DCU.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's valid. Uh, even though this i mean this I can't say this bothered me but it's it, it in a way it was very predictable it's just based on the way we know about the solicits we know from the solicits in this year in this and I didn't read 27 yet which was the irony of you asking me whether should we do 27 and I said and, I, and it's like no nah, let's stick to and, I, and even when I answered you I completely forgot I didn't even bother I hadn't even picked up 27 yet <laughs> I'm going to pick it up tomorrow when I pick up out of the core but we know from solicits that Jessica and Simon are were, were being sent back in time and that they were going to end up fighting basically along with the seven original lanterns what green lanterns to stop Volthoom. That that's basically what the solicits were implying all along. So to have, you know, to have this last this the sole survivor of the original seven just recognize them, I mean it's just so self it's kind of self-serving because you know why he's going to recognize them because you know because they were there you know <laughs> they were there back when Volthoom was originally vanquished that whole Terminator time loop kind of thing again uh, or seemingly that's what it's implying so I that I don't know it was cool on one level but I mean it's for, for to get you know but it's also self-serving in another to make Jessica and Simon seem more worthwhile in the Green Lantern mythos you know what I mean right that so I, I so that was predictable. And but it didn't do that much, it didn't do that much f- for me. I I kind of like I like the way Volthoom kind of like reconstitutes himself, but it does make you wonder. Even though now we, I guess it's safe to say he he has so much mastery of the emotional spectrum now that it's that his connection is different and the way he can use the spectrum is different than because hmm. even before the actually. Even before the next uh, issue I'm going to do came out, they already had touched upon the fact that you know he had the battery embedded in his chest and, and the great heart, and that's why that's why he originally was able to tap into the spectrum. But so I can I can get how he's moved how he's moved beyond that and everything. I can I guess I can kind of accept that he's moved way beyond that now, so he doesn't need it. Because we saw him in the in Wrath of the First Lantern, he had nothing in him then. He didn't even have his ring. You know, he, right so so I that 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 I that I can buy I mean so that that didn't that didn't bother me I did like the to tying it back into him getting getting his ring back and having a body back and not being just hijacking hijacking Rameys. uh I did kind of like the way he was able to use the emotional spectrum in in slightly different ways than we've kind of seen before
0: I was also I was curious I was curious about Uh, Jessica's reaction to him being Volthoom and her taking that on and recognizing the voice and so on and so forth. Because of the art, and I do like the art for the most part. Uh, It is dark, but it kind of matches the tone of the issue, Um, as well as the physical location, uh, too. But um, I'm also wondering how much Volthoom knows about what happened with that piece of his soul – from Earth 3. True. Because he has this look of sinisterness, or whatever the heck you want to call it, on his face when Jessica is reacting the way she is. Like, he knows why she's reacting the way she is. According to what we've learned several issues ago, the only way, the only piece that Volthum knows about that Earth 3 power ring is that Mordrew took a piece of his soul to create the ring and then doesn't really know, for the most part, what happened afterwards. He couldn't find what he wanted on that world, so he left. That's it. That's all he should know. But this makes it seem like, you know... I've got you back, Jessica, you know, get, get back here, Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For those who've seen Jessica Jones. Uh, But anyways, um, yeah, I just, it, it made it seem like he knows more than, based on what we we've seen so far, more than what he should about that aspect of what was done with that piece of his soul.
1: I think that's probably a fair conclusion i think i I kind of have an issue and, and this will be we'll talk this will be more prevalent in my ish, in my issue but um bum that i i'm not i'm not getting this whole thing how even how i don't know if I would believe that if he had all seven original lantern rings just stuck them all together i still don't necessarily i would believe that the travel lantern would work like it used to let alone having one friggin' piece of it (laughs) i don't know if i'm really buying that he just has one seventh of of his travel lantern because he has jessica's ring and somehow theoretically that was that would have that was all he would have needed to go back to do to to go back where he wanted to to back go back home quote unquote i don't know if i think that's kind of
0: pushing it too do you think do you think though it was the proximity to the great heart lantern within his chest and the OG ring that act that was able to activate and then power up those pieces in Jessica's ring and that's all he needed? Like he he wouldn't have been able to just take Jessica's ring. He had to have the added power of his original ring within proximity to the travel lantern or pieces of.
1: Maybe um I, I guess I guess that is another possible explanation. It just seems, it just seems like the travel lantern itself was kind of relevant as in, in being all in one piece. Because remember how remember how upset he was when he found out that it was destroyed. It was like, oh, right. I can never go back again. So then all of a sudden, just because one piece of it exists, that's supposed to be enough. May, maybe yes, maybe in his mind's eye, he thought. Okay, if I can get my old, if I can get the original ring again, and some maybe, maybe with my control of the emotional spectrum, then maybe I can use that one. I think it's shaky. I think it's I think it's again convenient. Um, just like we know, it's damn convenient that Jessica's got the her, her ring happens to be the last, the last of the, or the only one of the original seven rings floating around currently. So I don't know. Hmm.
0: Anything else about this issue?
1: I like the art for the most
0: part. I do like it. It's definitely a – it's not a massive departure, but it is a departure. Um, So that was interesting. Um, But yeah, once you – especially when you're reading this and the next issue back-to-back, it's definitely different.
1: Yes, because the next issue goes back to the – more like the standard art, which – for some characters, it works well. From a bunch of characters, it doesn't.
0: <laughs> All right, go ahead, man. Take twenty six.
1: All right, twenty six. Now I, I have the variant cover on this one.
0: With their them like kind of
1: dissolving. eyes floating in space, coming apart. I actually, yeah. I actually like that. I actually like that one too, which is why I, I, kept it. What's, what's the standard cover?
0: The standard cover is Raimi um, kind of materializing a lantern, a Green Lantern. And then splitting, he's like, you know, holding his, holding it, you know, like a sort of telekinetically between his hands. And then small Simon and small Jessica on either side reaching out for each other.
1: Yeah, sounds like this, sounds like the variant's better.
0: Yeah, I really do like the variant.
1: All right, so this issue, which is 26, is called The First Ring. Sam Humphrey's writer, Roman Cliquette artist, uh, was that Ulysses Ariola? There's a name for you colorist Dave Sharp letterer Mike McCone and Jason Wright did the cover Brandon Peterson did the variant cover and Marino Cotton and Braganza are the editors so I find it interesting well not interesting he just he just reminds me of Quicksilver so much in in this this battle doesn't he like (laughs) like, like a really like a really freaky power hungry uh, Quicksilver even though his hair is a little more under control Uh, so we begin on the planet Maltus, you know, home to the Guardians of the Universe, and the, requ- the requisite time frame for everything, and I guess in the storyline, ten billion years ago. <laughs> uh, so we have from the from the journals of Raimi, I like the fact that it does begin on you know day zero, where you get the in- intervals of different days to show you how things are progressing or not progressing. So basically, today's the day they basically pulled all their emotions out of them into the Great Heart, and uh, when they did that, a coincidentally, magically, (laughs) spiritually, the, the, the the first, the first ring appeared at that time. And when that did, uh, Volthoom reached out to grab it. By the time we get to day 53, pretty much all the guardians of the universe, more or less, have uh, Raimi kind of like sequestered almost, because they're trying to really try to figure out how, how this ring works. They've, they, they this is what's an interesting undertone throughout and I'm and I'll I'm, we'll be curious to see if we actually get this explanation by the time is this whole first lantern stuff ends that they're making it clear nobody knows where the first ring came from nobody knows who sent it <laughs> so that's obviously opening the door for another plot point even if they don't resolve it in this story arc but it's kind of it's it's an interesting one though they they reach the conclusion that you know the ring you know that they talk about they talk about uh, Volthoom and how he comes from another you know another part of the, the multiverse and then the the Travel Lantern you know that that all that they're trying to figure they're just trying to figure out everything here and and Ra- Rami's kind of like on the outs because it's Raimi, so he's not really allowed to basically hang with the cool kids as they're trying to figure out what's going on with Volthoom and again here's another thing I don't like they really are going out of their way to make Ganthet look like a dick. And the fact that once again, Ganthet of all of of all the uh, Guardians is the one to chastise somebody else about using emotions. So (laughs) I guess, again, this is this is this whole retcon thing now where I guess, you know, we're forget about the stupid. Uh, Volthoom's ring being down Ganthet's throat as that explanation which was horrible but Ganthet has always been the one who's been kind of like more human-like in the way he acted and then to have him this again this pseudo, this retcon having him chastise Raimi because I guess Raimi's now become the new Ganthet as far as being the relatable Guardian uh, so by, by day 98 the Guardians have really started to shrink <laughs> they can't even reach to the top of the bookshelf anymore And poor little Raimi is struggling to get something in, uh, and uh, Pietro slash Voltrum walks by and sees him struggling. So he comes over, hey, you need some help? Let me get that for you. And Raimi points out that he's the only one who kind of is acknowledging the fact that they're (laughs) they're shrinking, that all all, all the other Guardians have kind of like not really addressed the issue. And Raimi directly ties it into, ever since we banished our emotions, that that's what happened. Um, Raimi tries to make some small talk about the ring and Volthoom just cuts him off real quickly and going no to answer your question they still haven't figured out you know how to make it work or anything like that conveniently enough we find ourselves in the room I guess where Volthoom first appeared and when he, he first arrived basically through through Krona's or them using Krona's machinery and to, you know to see back this you know, see the past when the universe was created, and Ramey kind of points out that, hey, you know, I'm trying to rebuild this safer. <laughs> it's not a popular project because of the fact that uh, if I create this, uh, forget about looking at the past, you could look into the future and look at all the, the future disasters we could prevent. And Volthoom points out, you know, he, he and his mom were both scientists too, and what about you? And are you one of the most brilliant, you know, scientists here in the Citadel? And of course, Ramy, being Ramy, said, well, if. Are you asking them or asking me? Because if you're asking me, like, hey, I, I, I'm, the, I, I'm the best, baby! <laughs> so at this point, Volthoom and Raimi basically decide to uh, form their little partnership, and they begin working to try to figure out the ring together. Now, a whole hell of a lot happens for a while. Day 99, day 107, day 121. It all basically comes down to the same point, that that, that the ring still needs more energy to work. Um Ramy on that day one twenty one talks to Volthoom. Basically, see, I don't like the way that on some panels Volthoom is supposed to be look really youthful, but like on other panels he still looks like an old man. Right, like that pattern when the sweat's pouring off him, when when Raimi's appealing to him. Concentrate on something that really gets a strong emotional reaction out of you, whether it's something that makes you happy or sad or f- afraid. And that's when he says afraid. He, we see a panel of his mom trapped under the wreckage, about to die. And at that moment, pretty much the the uh, full the first ring sparks and shoots out emotional spectrum energy, mostly yellow. It looks like, but it still looks like there's little waves of the temporal waves of the other colors too. Uh, What, what is exactly does Ramy do with that gun of his? Is he just trying to measure? Is it like a measuring device? I don't know, because he doesn't blow up the wall, right? Volthoom blows the wall out.
0: Yeah, Volthoom blows the wall. I think it's a measuring device. Yeah, I,
1: I, I think so too, based on the fact that they talk about the, da, the data that they gathered later on. So at this point, even though they just blew a huge wall through the Citadel, Ramey and Ganth... Ramey and, and Ganthet are, uh, excuse me, Ramy and Volthoom are celebrating because they've finally gotten the ring to work, and they're kind of celebrating. Here, here's an interesting story, which I think goes back to what that Ar- the in the first Lantern uh, issue, when Volthoom is talking about Earth forty-seven, and it's like the closest they could get to the sum total of their innovation of the emotional spectrum was the busted-up guitar, and Volthoom thinks this is really funny, but uh, Ramy just kind of like is all bummed out. And <clears throat> Raimi's like, you know, I we just really can't do this. I looked at the data from today. If we keep pushing this, then it, in order to get more power into the ring, you know, there's a real risk it could kill you. And, Vol, you know, Volthoom doesn't care. It's like he makes it clear, a parallax kind of like moment there, like, you know, that, you know, I don't, I don't really care. I want this ring. You know, I'd I give my life for this ring. This is everything I've been searching for. And that's, and then and then Raimi kind of gets, uh, he gets told the story about, Volthoom's mom, and how you know his his Earth Earth fifteen blew up, and he wants the power to go back, and not just save his mom, but more or less, but also to save his planet. And the look that Raimi saw in Volthoom's face earlier, when he was being sequestered, wasn't boredom as he first thought. It was actually he was afraid, and. Well, Thum was pretty determined. He said, "You know, you you, you know we you, you know we can crack this. If we you know if we work hard enough, we can understand this mystery." Ramy has an idea, and it's kind of funny on some basic level why the Guardians, conveniently enough, would automatically accept this coming from Ramy. But I guess because it's the Guardians and they're and they power hungry themselves, maybe the concept of being able to master this ring or and maybe make more of them was enough for them to sign off on. Rami's idea, which essentially was, "Hey, it's like if you 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 continue to help the Guardians, give us permission, more or less, to do whatever is necessary to master this ring, and in 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 as a trade off, Volthoom would be allowed to take the ring to go back in time, you know, go back in time, pretty much, to save his planet from destruction." So, I kind I kind of liked. Uh, Rami and Volthoom like marching off victorious. It reminds me of, like of a Mentos commercial. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: a fresh maker.
1: <laughs> they're walking off all happy. Is this supposed to be Gansett again talking to him? Or we just don't
0: know. Uh, I don't think so. He's bald on the top of his head.
1: Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, but this is also a certain period of time so they're all shrinking. So who the hell knows? But he just, but Volthoom essentially I mean, excuse me, Rami essentially flips this Guardian off. And this is when they come up with their brilliant decision. Somehow, even though I love the Guardians and their little, little surgical outfits, that's that's just a classic. Uh, Shades of the Alpha Lanterns, of course. That they decided—that's where they, they were they decided to pl- implant the Great Heart inside of Volthoom. Though I'd like to know where the hell it is when he's sitting there recuperating. Why isn't there this big bulge in his chest? <laughs> um, and he's he's recouping there, and and Raymond's like, oh, don't talk, just you know, rest up. And he's like, "Oh, we did great. You're going to f- you're going to be astonishing. How do you feel? I feel filled with hope." And shortly thereafter, that on day 170, we have Super Volthoom flying off in space. You know, use basically now he's able to you know to use his use that ring because he's got the, the direct channel into the emotional spectrum thanks to the Great Heart. Um, yeah, you know, day one, he's day you know 196, you know, and then you know 206, you know, Volthoom just keeps using more and more energy, and he's kind of getting more and more obsessed and more and more unbalanced, and Ramy is starting to notice this more and more, and he's basically putting the two and two together, that it's the direct tie to the emotional spectrum that's probably making him unstable. We also get to the point, as this continues to go on, they make it clear that Volthoom, more or less, uh, his help as a scientist in this project soon But right around this point becomes nil that now he's just consumed with being the ring bearer and using it for his own personal gain that whatever scientific knowledge he had that he brought to the table in the beginning to try to unravel the mysteries of this ring more or less that's off the table now because Volthoom just doesn't care anymore on day 254 Raimi decides to take Volthoom's travel lantern and he rolled the dice on trying to see something maybe call it instinct call it convenience of plot whatever you would (laughs) like He goes into he he uses a travel lantern and he goes to see something that you know he didn't really want to see, but he basically what he finds out and he tells Volthoom was at the end of the day, the reason why his his Earth blew up was that Volthoom himself blew it up, not necessarily on purpose. That in his attempt to try to save the that Earth, his Earth and his mother probably in the process, he went back and more or less. Kind of like the whole Anakin thing, self-fulfilling prophecy of with Padme, and you know, you try to you tr- try too hard to avoid your destiny, you end up leading yourself right to it. That basically, he helped, he himself was the architect, literally, of his planet's destruction. And Volthoom, of course, first thinks he's just laugh that he laughs because he just thinks Raimi's crazy. It's like, oh, you're just kidding, you're just kidding. It's like, no, trust me, I'm telling you the truth. I wish it wasn't the way it is. I mean, but there's still so much we could do with the ring, and now Volthoom kind of just. Ex- just comes to the ex- belief that Raimi, more or less, is, look, is out for the ring for himself, and you know, it's like, it's like, you're supposed to be my friend, and it's like, it's like, Volthoom, no, I swear that's not it, and, you know, he's like, I'm leaving now, I'm taking the ring with me, and where's my travel lantern? At this moment, the other Guardians are the come in, and they kind of, they say, you will never have the travel lantern again, surrender the ring now, and now that, this is the part that, I guess, really hurts Volthoom, because that, uh, it's like Ramy, you led me. In, you know, you were, my, you led me into this trap. It's like you, I just wanted to save my home, my mother. And Ramy's really upset. It's like, please, you can trust me. And he, you know, Ramy just watches Volthoom freak out. You betrayed me, traitor. And he, and for for all you Guardian haters out there, <laughs> the next page or two is would be pretty satisfying if you if you haven't read this issue because he because Volthoom just lays into the Guardian something fierce. And we kind of, besides the requisite, Volthoom has gone mad. We have the interesting little revelation that we, which we kind of, I guess, already knew really, but at least in the this retcon universe, there at one point certainly were thousands of Guardians of the Universe because Volthoom killed hundreds or potentially thousands of them. Uh, so the few remaining Guardians kind of like are hidden behind a shield, uh, and they knew they knew at the end of the day that. Uh, Voltum was going to get to them eventually, and also because of the power Voltum had now, it all made sense how he was capable of basically destroying his own planet. Now we have more questionable luck or, you know, Duex Machia, due ex machia uh, with uh, R- Raimi deciding to. First, he breaks. For the fact that he's able to do it so easily is kind of shaky, but he's but he's
0: but he. Well, he's clearly using Mjolnir,
1: so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or at least uh, what you might call the uh, Beta Ray Bill's thing, um, <laughs> that he so he basically takes a hammer to the Travel Lantern because at the very least he's going to deny Volthoom the ability to go to, to do his time traveling and go back to his to, uh and, and attempt to save and ultimately destroy his planet. But you would think would then mean the planet would still be alive, right? Based on this whole train of thought. But uh, depending on the way you look at, again, time travel. So he breaks it. He breaks it. And then he realizes, hey, you know, this these pieces are really rich in emotional spectrum energy. So it's like, I can use them to form a new weapon. So basically he, he uses the fragments to create the original seven Green Lantern rings. He purposely channels – instead of channeling the entire emotional spectrum, which he thought might have been part of why Volthoom was kind of unbalanced – He decided to just focus in on one part of it, and he decided to use green, the willpower part, because it was the most stable. Kind of makes you wonder how they understood that much about the emotional spectrum when they couldn't really have – up until Volthoom – that's just one of those open-ended things in this. You don't know how much about the emotional spectrum they were able to ever figure out long before the ring was even functional. So – but – or maybe this was a process of the ring being functional for those few – for those hundreds of days. Either way – so, Raimi creates these rings, he sends them off into the universe in hopes that they could, you know, find someone that would, that would help them, and conveniently enough, now we get to what the planet Alstair, Alstair in the Antares system, uh, the planet is pretty much dead, except for, you know, except for one little brave organism, so which this little green sprout pops up through through the rock, and hope the hope spreads for years and for centuries, and the planet begins to thrive, and we get the first plant elemental, Kaleen, And Colleen is called to and by one of the seven Green Lantern rings. But the requisite, you have the ability to overcome great fear. There's a great crisis in the universe. You are needed. Next issue, what happened to Simon and Jessica?
0: When we get into the continuity, I don't know how much we want to spoil about the next issue. But there's continuity issues with this that also tie into what happens in some of the reveals of next issue. I'm not sure how much you care about being spoiled about this. So we won't go into it right now. <laughs> so
1: I, I know something about what happens at the end of the issue. That part I, I read. So, um, but okay.
0: But well, I think that's the very. I think that's the main, 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 main part. So, I, I, you know, I, I, spoilers about TV shows and movies and stuff like that. That's something to tiptoe around comics also something to tiptoe around but in this case we're talking about as we record this a comic that came out a a week ago or more so it's a comic that's already out it's not it's not like we got an advanced copy and are spoiling it for people who are keeping up so but anyways we'll just talk about this issue in particular before we move on to potential spoilers for the next issue that way people can still listen if they don't want to listen to those particular spoilers um Um, well okay, said Chad so, <laughs> so this this is taking place uh, well you destroyed this machine upon your arrival Krona invented it how long after Krona peers back in time and is, is, is exiled from Maltus thus creating, of course, the, the, the multiverse in the first place. Do we think, like, at, from the point he, he looks back and then is judged by the Guardians and is exiled, to the point that Volthoom shows up, how much time do we think has elapsed? Because his, it, it's still shattered, I mean, it's it's a whole thing. So, what do you think? What's the time frame like there? They give us a, They give us a lot of markers of time in this issue, but not necessarily this piece.
1: So the question you're really asking is, is how is how long between Chrono used the machine successfully and the time that Vol- Volthoom actually showed up? Yes. Uh, if, there wa- if there was if there was a see if I had that first part of the Wrath of the First Lantern, I might give us an idea <laughs> at least in that time frame. Um, uh, I'm not entire I don't entirely know. I don't. It,
0: it may not even matter because Krona creates the multiverse by looking back in time, connecting the dawn of time with the end of time, thus creating, uh, you know, entropy and, and shattering reality into a multiverse. Volthum is from a multiverse, but is a time traveler. So it's like. Volthum is from an alternate world. And since he's a time traveler, that's okay. All right? You know, just because of the, the, the quote unquote logistics or lack thereof of logistics and time travel in, in, in comic books like this. That, you know, in a way makes sense. The multiverse was just created for the most part, but it doesn't matter because he's, a, he's you know, he's a time traveler, so that's fine. Whatever. The reason I ask, though, is because the Guardians and Raimi, at the very least, treat the fact that he's from an alternate world in the multiverse like it's fact. So, if it was only very, very recently that Crone appears back in time and then creates the multiverse in the first place, I'm wondering why they don't have a bigger reaction to to Volthoom showing up in the first place, because this, this, if, if time-wise, it's very relatively recently that Corona has created the multiverse by accident, but created the multiverse, Volthoom has to be the first solid evidence of the multiverse. Why aren't they making it a bigger deal? Like, everything is obviously focused on this lantern and the great heart and blah, 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 and I get why we're focused on that, but the timeline of the dcu the way it, the way it is bothum has to be the first solid evidence of uh, of a multiverse a creature a living being completely sentient capable of his own abstract thoughts notions he came in with a freaking travel lantern that's technology that's even beyond the guardians in the first place but he's from an alternate world that was by their estimation just created like I feel like there should be some overlap here in like wanting to focus on Volthum because of the travel lantern and the emotional spectrum and everything. But also there should be a piece of it. That's like, Holy crap. The multiverse is real. That is just completely absent from the situation.
1: I can understand. I can see that point.
0: Yeah. So I was just like, I just, be, because they decide to throw Krona's broken screen in there. It's like, come on, guys. like, you know what that broken screen means. It means Krona. Krona means the birth of – I am holding the issue right now. Green Lantern 45 or Green Lantern 40, the birth of the multiverse as – I mean, we've got Flash Flash 123, Flash of Two Worlds and blah, blah, blah. But the explanation – of the multiverse happens in a Green Lantern issue back in the 60s, when Alan Scott and Green Lantern team up for the first time.
1: I I have... Yeah, but but to to be fair, they're probably only referencing that point, because we we remember that's how Volthoom first showed up with the Guardians, how he first interacted. His first appearance, as we know, Volthoom was... That's when he showed up in that first part of Wrath of the First Lantern. So So I'm not saying, obviously, it has much greater connotations than that, but that I think from from a story, from this storytelling point of view is the, is the main or the only reason it's probably in there.
0: Because between this issue and the next issue, which I won't spoil that piece right now, these two issues, Sam Humphreys is shaking the foundations of the DCU in general. And it's starting right here, like in the what third page. <laughs> Yeah, third page of this one issue, it's starting right here, referencing the be- the beginnings of the multiverse. What happens in the next issue, we'll, like I said, we'll get to that. But in this issue, they reference Krona and that's the creation. So I've already covered that ground. But <coughs> <laughs> the, the Guardians, okay, so we are on Maltus. We are on Maltus – 297, 297
1: days, is that it? Uh, Something like that, Let's, let me see. What- day
0: 255, and let me see, day 257, uh, I don't see a day after 255.
1: Yeah, 255. Well, 255 must have been the day when everything went to crap. No, yeah, 257 257 is when the Guardians are all strewn out. So, yeah. And then after that,
0: nothing. No. So 257 or so days. It takes almost a year, by our reckoning, for the Guardians to go from Malthusians to Stature Guardians. Okay? That means... Based on the timeline that we do know, so (laughs) Mark and I appeared on an episode of the Secret Origins podcast where we were covering the origin of the Guardians. You remember that whole story, right? Yes. It was complicated as F, but the Guardians had billions and billions and billions of years before they even got to the point where they then started to become and evolve into the short little diminutive beings that we know now. So how long has all of this been going on? What... If we're saying that this is 10 billion years ago here, it, just in terms of Maltus and the OG Seven Lanterns, how much older is Maltus and the Guardians? What is what is now their retconned history like? Is their planet only a billion years old? Because don't forget, in continuity, so so far as we know, The evolution of Maltus took place much faster than most other planets like they were created but then the the amount of time it took for them to go from like cavemen to just like brilliant brilliant beings is not the same process of evolution the same lapse in time as most other evolved planets it took a much shorter time for them so even taking that into account though how long has Maltus been around? Like, I, So we're throwing off not just the what's been going on with the, the creation of the multiverse, we're also throwing off the, the timeline of the Guardians themselves, the Maltusians. So I'm curious about, okay, what's this new timeline supposed to kind of be? What's the effects of saying what we're saying here? In terms of their own planet and their own history. Have they already split from the Zamorans? Have they already split from the Controllers? When did that war happen? Or even if it was just a difference of ideas and they were just like, F you, we don't want to deal with you. Okay, bye. Like, <laughs> even if it wasn't the big war that we were led to believe it was, in that Secret Origins issue you and I talked about with Ryan all those that, that year or so ago, then... But how how long is this new timeline for Malthusians? Because they they had to have split the the Xamrons and the controllers at the very least had to have already split from this culture before this point, right?
1: I would say so. Yes.
0: The other thing I wanted to bring up on the page where these three Guardians are just basically passing a judgment, hey, Raimi can work with uh, work with Volthoom. Remember you making a big issue of the fact that Volthoom in the guise of Raimi was like, hmm, a female Guardian? What?
1: Yeah, you're right. They're Sade. <laughs> or a Sade looking like Guardian, yes.
0: There's a female Guardian. Yep. So there's a continuity issue within its own series right now. So that's interesting. Um, but outside of that, so you, artistically, I, I wish they wouldn't have included the shards in Raimi's hand when he's holding these rings, because it makes it almost look like <laughs> he hit the travel lantern with this hammer and out popped some rings, <laughs> as opposed to he forged each individual one. Because he's still holding like shards and dust and stuff of the travel lantern within the handful that also contains the rings.
1: They they should have had like the ones that didn't quite work out, so they could have been like a red one and a yellow one. And it's like, damn, I just I'll, okay, I'll stick with green because it's the only one I can make without destroying it. It's like,
0: <laughs> the universal ring from Planet of the Apes. <laughs>
1: These 15, oh, 10 commandments for all <laughs> Oops. Yes, yeah, so that kind of thing.
0: Um. So that's that's all very interesting to me. And a, just as a kind of side note slash nudge in the direction of the next issue and those spoilers, we have a plant elemental of sorts. <laughs> that's that's a very very. Wampus way of getting to what I would be getting to. But that – anyways. Um, but yeah, that's – just in this one issue alone, he is throwing a wrench into the history of the DCU. Like he wasn't already. We already – I mean we already talked about several episodes back when we were talking about the fact that, okay, wait, these Seven Lanterns exist and then they retired the rings and then that must mean they, they – then they created the – the Manhunters, and then brought back the Guardians. Is that what we're saying? Or, or back, brought back the Green Lantern Corps? That is that what we're saying now? So now we have this whole new wrinkle. Before even all that takes place, <laughs> so it's like, what, what is happening? Did did Doctor Manhattan steal some years here too?
1: <laughs> the whole timeline will be set right eventually. No. <laughs>
0: I just, I, I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to vent on those particular instances. I don't know what you think of all that, or if any of it matters to you the same way it does to me. But it's just like, what, <laughs> what are we saying? What is happening? <laughs>
1: yeah, and why, and why is, is why is Raimi, like still dressing on, dressing so unique? <laughs> I mean they're all wearing dresses. Uh, by the time we're getting to the end, they're all friggin' wearing dresses, right? So why is why, why is he still able to like uh be unique? <laughs> that's why I was uh, that's why he was exiled cuz he wanted to ke- keep wearing some pants. <laughs> Androgyny or no. <laughs> it's like, "Oh, okay." I don't know. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't I don't know. This is just what do you have to say about
1: the issue <laughs> like I said if you just read it as a story it's interesting uh, I do I think they do a better depending on how one wanted what one's expectation was I should say that they do a better job of kind of giving you a more balanced picture even though I guess this is in a way this is really Ramy's version and we, the last issue was really uh, Volthum's version <laughs> of, of, of history when it comes to history, but so th- th- clearly we don't know if this is really all true anyway because this is just Raimi's version of, of the reality. I guess we're supposed to accept Raimi's version of reality a little bit, uh, slightly more than Volthoom's but still, I mean, it you still get some good elements of Volthoom as far as the positive aspects of him, and then you get the basically how he was corrupted or because of the direct ties channel directly into the emotional spectrum. Uh, I don't. I I like the issue. I like the arc. I have. I like the. I like the first lantern, and I still like the fact that he That again, we talked about this before. He, this is like a perfect character for Humphreys to get. Regardless, re, regardless of like closing your eyes and just drawing stuff on the wall when it comes to the history of the Green Lantern universe now. <laughs> but the I just the idea just from this one character's perspective. That he's the perfect character for Humphreys to get because he really was essentially a blank slate as far as who am I? Why am I here? That kind of thing was never answered really before. <laughs> so, and in the way like we like we talked about earlier today tonight, the fact that they're they're kind of filling in a lot of the blanks about Volthoom, but at the same time they're, they're they seemingly are laying a lot of breadcrumbs too for others to explore more about who sent the first lantern ring and why they sent it to begin with, since it just kind of popped up mysteriously when they, when the great heart was kind of formed that, that, so where it's also good.
0: It's also interesting. I feel like they're kind of laying uh, seeds in this issue here um, towards, I mean, not that they didn't do it in that kind of Volthoom secret origin issue that we covered a while back, but also like in this issue, they're kind of laying some seeds for you to feel some sympathy for Volthoom, because you can see through Raimi's perspective, Raimi's like, "Look at, look, man. Most of this is, is is not your fault. You are mainlined into the emotional spectrum. Like, we need to help you. So, I'm wondering how much sympathy Raimi has for Volthoom, and what he's going through. Or is he just so ancient and old now that initially he may have felt some some sympathy for Volthoom, and now he's just like, shit, this guy again. <laughs> like, let's 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 get on with it." <laughs>
1: Well, I think he, I think he, w- I'm pretty sure he was showing some sympathy even earlier in the the Phantom Lantern arc. But now, now that they might – now that, he mind, now that he mind sucked him and everything else, I bet you there's not a whole lot of sympathy left. Assuming Raimi is, assuming Raimi is even back in there yet. Because remember, he pulled him, he pulled him into that energy ball. So who knows where that thing is? It could just, right. it could be a, it could be a soul, a soulless body at this point. The quest for Raimi's soul coming soon. <laughs> Uh, so he probably won't be as uh, I had a lot of sympathy for you now up yours buddy
0: (laughs) (laughs) alright anything else you want to say about this one
1: up to this point it it certainly was a good setup for this arc of course course, we we beat that drum every like every two (laughs) every four months we beat that drum when they showed a new arc in these books the setup's really good uh, just like, just like so far, the, the setup for fracture has been really good. <laughs> but how it ends up, we can almost take it to the bank. We know it's not. <laughs> it's going to be slightly less good. <laughs> but so far, I like this. I, I, I like a lot of the, a lot of the the focus on the Phantom Lantern, the First Lantern, even Raimi, I kind of like that. But it comes back again to the kind of like the flaws in the book that when the book is more just about Jessica and Simon, it isn't nearly as thrilling. Especially when it's right. especially when it's about Simon. <laughs> Jessica at least is interesting. I still think Simon is a hell of a lot of dead weight in this in this book for the most part and giving him his little uh, emerald sight and other crap to try to make him special doesn't change the fact that he's still kind of an arrogant punk in this in this version of in this Green Lanterns series version of Simon Baz. So I I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, but I like it. I like for what this arc has been so far. I, I I like it. I just like I like Fracture. I I don't have as much confidence once Fracture ends, because of the fact that they're never gonna be rolling into the, the New Gods again, which could be all right. I mean, I was surprised with uh, Godhead. It was much better than it had any right to be. So maybe I'll be surprised again. But I don't care at all about the New Gods. So it's not exactly the, we're not go we're not going in with uh, hitting the ground running as far as I'm concerned. <laughs>
0: All right. I want to move on to some Twitter feedback. What the hell? Sure. Okay. So rather than like jump around and trying to figure out where I left off and everything, maybe we should just throw the spoiler tag in here. Do do you want to say what happened or kind of the reveal that happens in 27?
1: Go ahead if you want. I mean, because you.
0: Okay. So if if you guys don't want to hear this going forward, I have a feeling most of you won't care, but on the off chance that you do. Spoiler warning for issue 27, which we haven't yet covered on this show. Jessica and Simon are 10 billion years in the past. Shocker. <laughs>
1: yeah, everything is 10, 10 billion years everywhere.
0: <laughs> it's revealed they're on Earth 10 billion years ago. They travel to the center of the Earth at some point during this issue. What do you believe is at the center of the Earth Early on in its creation. Hmm. Does anybody remember what was in the center of the earth during blackest night? It's the white lantern entity as an infant. It is, it is in stasis just kind of floating there. It's not conscious. They can't make contact with it, but it's early on in the development. It's in its embryonic state sort of. Um, Do
1: they know what it is?
0: They know what it is. Yes.
1: Okay. Why would they know what it is?
0: That's another continuity issue. I believe the the ring is telling them. I believe the ring is telling them what's going on. Uh, But anyways, so – but just keeping that in mind because not all of these responses we got on Twitter are going to be about it, but we will get there. Um, I asked on Twitter earlier today, what are your thoughts on the quote-unquote new origin of the Green Lantern Corps as shown in Green Lanterns issues 25 and 26? Okay, so Jesse responds and says, overall, I don't like the retcon, but, a lantern, but the lanterns Humphreys created are cool. The, a white Martian is especially interested. Um, Rob says it's pretty cool. I asked them both why they feel the way they feel. Rob responds and says, the thought of the travel lantern and what it can do excites me, and I want to see what's up with Simon's ring. Jesse's response to my question asking why he feels the way he does was a little more in-depth. And he says uh, – I asked him why he doesn't like the retcon. He says, I've always liked the idea that the core was created after the failure of the Manhunters. I don't, want, I don't understand why the Guardians would create a few rings and then change their minds to use androids instead. Maybe it will play out in the story in a way that makes sense because of how the original Lanterns died or something. Honestly, I haven't ever been a fan of the First Lantern as a concept, and this is just adding to a part of the mythology I didn't like. I preferred when everything started from green and branched from there. However, now that these seven original Lanterns do exist, I think it's an interesting twist that Jessica's ring is one of the originals. Reminds me of the part of Emerald Knight's movie when Hal's ring was one of the originals in that storyline. Okay. I had a thought in based on what Jesse says, kind of like trying to predict where this story is going. Because of what happens to the Guardians via Volthum, and the fact that Raimi is the one who creates these seven rings, presumably without the Guardian's permission, because everybody else has just been decimated. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't even know if there's anybody left. When these Green Lanterns show up to take down Volthoom, it's not like the Guardians have, haven't have had a history of being ungrateful little shits in the past, right? Right. So I wouldn't – I don't have a problem at all seeing these Guardians, whoever are left, going, uh-uh. We want nothing to do with the emo- emotional spectrum. Whatsoever. We are shutting this down. And if not just that, the fact that Ramy himself was involved in creating it may, may even make them even more like antagonistic towards the idea. So I have no problem believing that they shut him shut it down. And opt to go instead for utilizing what is obviously a powerful power source but opting to go for androids instead. That part, I have no problem making that leap. However, how we make that leap is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. If they'll even bother going that route. Because that's just what I think might be coming. But who knows if that's where Sam Humphreys is even going. Like, do the Manhunters even exist? (laughs) Like, did we just shut down the Green Lantern Corps concept? after these Seven Lanterns, and then bring it back? There's no Manhunters in the middle? Like, we don't know, right? We don't really know. The Manhunters Uh, do exist in this universe, we know that, but maybe their whole origin is just now messed up.
1: I I would have to think. Well, again, assuming there's actually editors reading this stuff, <laughs> that, somebody, <laughs> so that somebody would point out. Well, you you can't really get away get rid of the man for a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> and, then, and then and then the next issue, Atrosta shows up, like skipping with a lollipop. It's like I'm so happy. <laughs> like, oh, my life is wonderful. I can just be a philosopher and just look and lick my lollipop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. I don't know so um, Myron chimes in he goes well we know time travel is in the mix wonder how long before she figures it out and realizes she quote had the power to go home all along unquote <laughs> <laughs> <She> <laughs> And click,
1: click her heels a few times
0: Myron also says in response to us our original question I think it's the worst idea since the emotional reservoir
1: <laughs> That. That's mining pretty deep It's a craft, he goes to say that. Woo!
0: So, <laughs> Ralph then chimes in and goes, I haven't even started DC Rebirth, and I hear a lot more negative than positive. Should I even start? So, I responded and said, well, are you talking about DC Rebirth as a whole? Like, we're talking line-wide, or are we talking about just the Lantern titles? And he tags both us and uh, Myron over at Blog of Oa. Myron says, "For me, I've been reading far less DC books since Rebirth uh, than I was during the New 52 and before." Ralph says, "In response to me, I really only read Lantern titles. Stuck on Long Hair Hal from the New 52. I read DC Rebirth one with Wally. The GLs titles just aren't aren't appealing." And uh, I said, "Rebirth itself is much better than the New 52 was in an overall sense." As for the Lantern titles, how much do you care about continuity? He says trying to create new backstories instead of – I said what's happening now is better than long hair Hal but suffers from similar issues. And he says trying to create new backstories instead of telling regular good stories that move forward. Also, there are too many Earth Lanterns. <laughs> and I said, more yes than no. <laughs> um, he says, hurts to say, but Kyle should have stayed dead in Blackest Night or appear only occasionally as a White Lantern. Simon needs to go. Haven't read Jessica, but we need, and he ran out of characters, obviously, so he put a little skull emoticon. <laughs> See that? That's a little harsh. Well, I, respond, I responded and, and said uh, – uh, I said GLs may not be for you. They do make you like Jessica, and the stories can be fun. I recommend trying the training day issues because basically if you don't like those, you're not going to like the series. Um, because I thought the training day issues of Green Lanterns were the best ones I've read so far personally. So, I mean, that, that, that may not be a universal opinion. But just based on the continuity issues i 've had with the issue, I felt there was more fun in those training day issues than there were in other issues i've read
1: and, and at least they, at least they avoided a panel when 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 Kyle's, like said to Jessica well I, I remember when Gansett chose me for my worthiness and <laughs> which of course in the new fifty two is borderline the, is borderline true, but we all know that's bullshit. We all know that's not Kyle 's real origin." <laughs> Thus, the alley rat label. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny. Throughout this entire conversation, another person piped in and said they haven't read the Green Lantern's title. They've been keeping up with only Hal Jordan. And that I was, person
1: was Robert Venditti. No?
0: <laughs> Jorge uh, piped in and was asking about that. Um, but yeah, Hey, um, would have been a better answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. So then somebody named Baird chimes in. And this is where it gets nuts. He says, I think it's pretty interesting, but the emotional reservoir was way worse in my opinion. Myron responds and says, it's hard to get behind the behind green lantern rings that function before the will entity exists to power them to which I responded that it, 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 you know the, the, the entities themselves don't power the, the the core. They are more the first the first creature to feel said emotion, that embodies the emotion but isn't the source of the emotion. And Baird responds and says, "It's a really good point. I mainly like the way they're telling Volthoom's part of the story, but yeah, maybe this is worse." <laughs> um, <clears throat> Myron says, "I agree that the reservoir took away the whole way they are fueled in the first place." He says uh, (laughs) – he says, Humphreys – in in response directly to what I was saying about the way of their powers is technically correct, but if the entity doesn't exist yet, how does that parse with the Guardians having purged those same emotions? (laughs) Welcome to the can of worms. (laughs) He says, Humphreys also doesn't understand that you can't have a white Martian GL 5.5 billion years before our solar system even existed. (laughs) Now we're talking about a comic universe here, so I guess we can say that the DC universe is much older than our real life universe because our Earth is 4.54 billion years old and Mars is 4.5 billion years old, according to science. Uh, you know, the scientific community in today's modern age and era. But this is what this is what Myron's referring to. Barrett says, yeah, most of the New 52 stuff after number 20, I kind of ignored. Relic was a great villain, but the stories weren't that great. So I said, the time between Volthoom arriving, the Malthusians purging, and the creation of the first rings have to be what? Only a few years max, if that? And Myron pipes in with what we know, 257 days from the time the ring arrived to Volthoom losing it and attacking the Guardians. And Baird's like, looks like we're going to need a story of explaining Ion's location during all of this or something.
1: And, and, how, and, the, and the Guardians have to start looking for real estate for Oa at some point. what the hell did this ever happen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: We were just exactly. about to purchase this great beachfront property, and then we, got, we all got
0: blown up. <laughs> okay, so, so, so this is what I'm saying. Welcome to the jungle, Mark. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I say, and this is, this is kind of like the last piece of the conversation – I say, so first came the White Lantern Entity, Earth forms around it, then Entities, then Maltus, then Volthum, then Great Heart, then the Ring, then Green Lantern Rings. How old is Earth then? And what is the timetable between Maltus forming and the inhabitants evolving into the beings that become Guardians? Because in number 27, it says – That Simon and Jessica are 10 billion years in the past on Earth. The White Lantern is in the center of Earth. Okay, So it's a little infant. If the Malthusians at this point already exist and are starting to become the Guardians, that means that their planet had to have been created, evolved, etc., Into the state it's at before Simon and Jessica even arrive on this planet 10 billion years in the past, which means how long has Earth been around at the point that Simon and Jessica arrive on it? And what is the lifespan of this White Lantern entity? How long does it take to grow up? Because when we see it, it's only a little infant in the planet of the Earth. But – Earth is populated by all of these weird creatures. Not dinosaurs, we're talking weird-ass creatures. That sort of resemble what we have now. Like, they're like lava whales and shit like that. But anyways, that that being said, in Blackest Night, we are led to believe that the first creatures that felt A, B, C, D, E emotion then became the embodiment of those beings. Now, the first creature... The, the first planet to evolve life, as we're told in Blackest Night, was Earth, which is why the, the Earth was formed around the White Lantern Entity. That is the first place that experienced life. All, we all kind of agree on that point, right? So then stands the reason that the first beings, logically speaking, to feel these emotions would have to be from Earth. Because we remember – I remember seeing the panel when Ion created that it was like a little particle or a, a little uh, microscopic being that first decided to, to jolt itself, to will itself to move. And then that just sparked a, a spark of willpower that evolved into this massive space whale from its own little one-celled organism type thing. That had to have come from Earth. So the way the timeline exists based on how we know it versus how we're being told here, this Earth, even though there are already 10 billion years in the past, which is a little over, like Myron said, 5.5 billion years older than the Earth really should be, scientifically speaking, the Earth has to be even older than that and had to evolve the life necessary to create the sequence of events we see in Blackest Night to get the entities that we get, Ion, Parallax, the Butcher, etc. All of the, the White Lantern, the creation of Earth, all of the entities, all of this has to take place before Maltus itself even evolves life or evolves life to the point where they're capable of feeling those emotions because we're being told that the Maltusians purge their emotions so we know they felt them before in the past so earth has to be old enough earth has to be super ancient <laughs> like super ancient right now even 10 10 billion years in the past when jessica and simon arrive so like it's throwing the entire timetable out of whack for me how long is the white lantern a little baby like did he arrive in our universe as a single one-celled entity life organism and how long is his gestation period from arriving in our universe to becoming this little infant we see in issue 27 then does he experience like a growth spurt while in the womb <laughs> to become the being that we see during blackest night Oh like, man, you're making my head hurt. <laughs> see, see, this is what I'm saying. Welcome to the jungle. This whole mess, like, just like, just by telling us 10 billion years ago, already throws a whole bunch into the whack that we went into before we even started going into spoilers for issue 27. Then you throw into the fact that Jessica and Simon are on Earth 10 billion years ago and run into the White Lantern in this embryonic state. That just throws the entire system out of whack. What in the world is this new timeline now? What is the sequence of events? Because there's, uh, there's only cer- a certain <laughs> way it can make sense if you're going based on the story that we know so far, how the entities were created when certain beings felt the emotion for the first time. That's how it was in Blackest Night, right? That's what they said? I believe so. So the first beings to feel ABCD emotion or I remember we kind of had this debate during Blackest Night on the Lantern cast between listeners and and Mark and Jim and I mean and and Jim and Dan and, and everybody. Like specifically regarding Parallax, was it that this bug felt fear or that it inspired fear? I remember we had that that debate. Were these the first creatures all of them across the board to feel these emotions or feel these emotions plus and or cause these emotions in other beings i remember that was a big debate but regardless it still holds it's, it throws the entire timeline out of whack <laughs> so <laughs> obviously this is a debate that was way bigger <laughs> than 140 characters <laughs> would <Lyle> allow on twitter <laughs> And Jesse then responded later and he says, I think they should make Kyle and Jessica partners in 2814 in Green Lanterns and just make Simon a background character in Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. (laughs) So Simon just needs to be taken off the table for the most part. Just like, you know, the same way every now and then Rotlop fan or Stell or somebody's like in the background waving at you or something. (laughs) That's just that's where Simon's relegated to, which I don't blame him. Sam Humphries is shit all over the character <laughs> of Simon Bass. I'll be honest, he's tried to bring it back, but I feel like he did too much damage in the beginning just to prop up Jessica. Yeah. So it's no wonder that we get so many people who are already asking us in Twitter just like, "Oh, I haven't even bothered reading Green Lanterns. Is it even any good?" <laughs> yeah, I would I mean,
1: I do think it would be a smart – for multiple reasons, it would be smart to pair Jessica with Kyle. I think it would help the book too because you would have the Kyle contingency that would – even if they're not reading Green Lanterns now, they would because Kyle would be at least co-lining the book. Though, of course, they'd complain real quick if Jessica was still actually the main star. <laughs> um, oh, hell, that complain even, even if they were getting 50-50% of the coverage in the stories, he would be complaining. <laughs> that percentage of Kyle fans, as I always like to say. Uh, yeah, Kyle is a green name, exactly working out so far. <laughs> not going too well for him. Now when we get into the, the, those issues of Fracture, that... I, I do want to cover that issue because that's a really good issue with him and Sora. I really like that issue a lot. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but it was
0: – oh, Sora. Um, Have you heard the news about Green Lanterns, the title future?
1: The title future, as in the, for the book itself? as it was yes. going, to, As in the long-term pro, prospects of the title?
0: Or the creative team.
1: Oh, Humphreys is leaving?
0: Uh, according to Blogamoa, who posted this during San Diego Comic-Con, Tim Seeley is taking over the writing du- duties on Green Lanterns starting around issue 33 because they noticed in the solicits that uh, th- issue 33 showed Tim Seeley as a writer. Someone on Twitter asked, wait, are you taking over writing Green Lanterns long term? Tim Seeley responds to that and says, seems so. We'll have more info soon, I'm sure. So, it looks like we're in for a change of guard, at least when it comes to the writer of Green Lanterns within the next four or five issues, five, six, whatever.
1: Well, that doesn't necessarily mean the direction. But it means now... It means some direction of the book is going to change. It doesn't mean the main cast of characters is going to
0: change. C- correct. I'm just letting you know no, that I know, I know. A, I yeah, there is a that. change. There's a change in the works supposedly.
1: Which does not necessarily even mean it's going to be for the best. <laughs> True. Uh I don't know. Uh Yeah, that that is that, that is interesting. though. it'll be I yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with Simon. I mean, Simon's just he's a lot of baggage. At this point and i don't really i know i guess we should care a little bit more about him and his sister and nazir but i don't i care more about jessica and her sister and her and their cat that's honestly it's just based on the way things have been presented maybe maybe because one would seems a little more heavy-handed and one seems more natural flowing you know to me but i don't know
0: um just as a do you, do you are you familiar with Tim seeley from anything no by the way oh, okay so what I know him most from is a series from Image Comics called Revival. He wrote um, – maybe I think created because it's Image, right? Uh, Revival, which was like a zombie-type storyline. Um, I remember Jim – Actually, it, for the most part, enjoyed like the twist in that because for, for a long time, Jim was like, I don't give a shit about zombies. like He was, wasn't going to watch Walking Dead, any of that. Jim actually supposedly liked a few issues of Revival that he read. Uh, I really enjoyed the Revival series. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I highly recommend you guys check it out. So I do recognize that name. He wrote a few issues of uh, Suicide Squad. He also wrote Batman and Robin Internal with Scott Snyder and James Tenney. And he's like just one of the few uh, few things. He also wrote Grayson for 17 issues or so. So if you guys are familiar with the name Tim Seeley, that might be why. Um, just because I brought up news or whatever. Did you hear about uh, uh, the DC Metal Stuff that they're doing, Dark Knights metal. Yeah,
1: because I, I picked up the that that one shot was was it the casting or whatever it was the big one, That came yeah. whatever that came out. Yeah, so I kind of knew where they were going with with the like the, the 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 bad Batman or whatever. So I don't know if I'm still gonna read the, if I'm gonna. It made it slightly more appealing to me, kind of when you, when you once you realize what they were going to do. But I don't know
0: um so they're actually gonna there will be a dc metal or dark knights metal green lantern in there they showed an image during san diego comic-con of that and there will be one in there what role that character will play if it'll be a large character role if if there's going to be like a dark knights metal green lantern one shot i have no idea How big that character will appear, I guess, remains to be seen. But they did show an image of several DCU characters in this metal-type costume design, and one of them was a Green Lantern. So, that's something to keep an eye out, too. That is true. Um... Anything else should we should before we going to the the emails?
1: Yeah, let's just. I don't think so. I think for, we can just do the feed, uh, feedback.
0: Awesome. Uh, do you want to do Dan or Scott first? Let's. I'll
1: do Dan. You do Scott. Sure. Dan's from London, England, huh? That's pretty cool. Um, actually, we've, we've we've had Dan this email from Dan for like a little over a month. Months and a half now, actually, uh, and we just—it's not because we've been. It's not that we haven't wanted to do it. It's just that based on the topics of some of these issues, it didn't really flow as well. So we figured this issue, since since it has to do with in general, both of these emails have to do with just general continuity and concepts of characters. So we figured this would we would probably have a little bit more time to spend on it. So Dan's email is: Hi guys, I'm a longtime GL reader and newish subscriber to your podcast. I've recently been listening to some of the older episodes, and I've just finished the Sinesto Spotlight episode. And then everyone wonders why anyone would hire a person whose name means sinister as a good guy. And I thought I'd share with you my head canon on the subject. Though I'm not sure I'm I'm sure I'm not the only person who has thought this. <clears throat> sin- uh, sin- sinister stems from Latin and originally meant left-handed. It took on the modern meaning by the Middle Ages because of the commonly held belief that left was associated with evil. If you look at which hand Sinestro wears his ring on, and at least in modern appearances, it's on his left hand. It's my belief that Sinestro is a nickname that picked up at some point in his life because left-handedness is even more rare on Korgor than on Earth. Obviously, the nickname is an older classical Korgorian, Korgorian language that I like to call Old High Korgorian. <laughs> that the, the, the ring translates into the Earth counterpart Latin as, sen- as Sinister. A for effort on that one Dan no matter what. <laughs> Nothing evil about it, just an unfortunate coincidence. Keep up the great work, gents.
0: I'd accept that up until the point you get the, the the notion that Sinestro's name yeah. is Thal Sinestro.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say I I could almost borderline maybe more than borderline. I could I could steer steer myself clear to accept that Certainly before the Jeff Johns era, and once, right? And once once it became clear that his name is Thal Sinestro, that and far, Sinestro is a surname. Yes, and that as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, is that that's exact that's his last name, and the reason why it just doesn't have the same meaning to other places, and you know the when you when you see you know sinistro to us we think oh now even if we didn't know the character you'd think oh that kind of looks like sinister well in different pla in different languages and in different worlds they probably that doesn't it doesn't mean anything it's just you know it's like smith would be to us or something like that it may not mean anything so i uh, to me that's I mean we know that I'm just sure that's why they gave them the, that's probably why they gave him the name or when they first created the character probably come on. but yeah but I mean but as far as looking back at it from a, just from a in a green lantern mythos or as in the actual worlds that these things exist in uh no I think now at this point it has kind of been accepted that that Sinestro is his actual last name and um that's that's pretty much what I think it is I don't think it's a I don't think it's an. I don't think it's a nickname. Um, it could have been again, like we said, it could have been a nickname in the beginning. Maybe even certainly during the Silver Age, it could have been. Be, some even though it may never been pointed out, but it may have been somebody's belief deep down that oh yeah, that's really his nickname that they gave him once he they realized what a, what a crap he was. But um, I think now no, I think that's his. That's his actual name.
0: Yeah, you know it's actually interesting because it actually kind of ties into what's happening now. Um, Sora. Yes. Yeah. So, Sora. At some point, this isn't really a spoiler. She says, like the, the the phrase, "I am a Sinestro." And when I read that, I was like, "Hang on." It, it took me a minute to like understand what she was saying because I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> What's happening there? I, I, it, I it's based on me that Sinestro wasn't the last name of her family.
1: Yeah, because she mentions because <laughs> she mentioned she mentions the two, and she mentions Sinestro, and how she's like she's what a Sinestro by birth or something. Paraphrasing that, so her,
0: her, her name is her her name is Sorianic Natus hyphen Sinestro or Sinestro hyphen Natu. Well, <laughs>
1: you know, she was born she was born a Sinestro, Sinestro, but Sinestro, she was raised yes. she was raised in the two, so that's why her, her and she never knew what her what her origins were. So, but, but she. But
0: does now, now that she's embracing, you know, now that she's embracing her role as the leader of the yellow lantern Corps, I wonder if maybe she would start. And <laughs> this is completely out of left field. Maybe she would start taking on that identity, like having no problem identifying as good old SS <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or Sinestro hyphen the two, you know, maybe she wouldn't mind having that name. Associated with her now,
1: I, yeah. At this, I think at this point, if she was going to do a hyphen, it would be in that two hyphen Sinestro. <laughs> because technically speaking, the two is the only name she ever really knew. True. You know, so if you, even though she wouldn't really be, it wouldn't be a married name, but that I think. But either way, I that will be that will be curious. I kind of and and I just again that's going to be more when we get into next episode when we do the the how thing. We'll talk about this, but I. But it is, but it was. It is just funny that how it's Kyle who kind of pushed all this. Upon. Kyle helped make all of this a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like s- 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 somewhere, somewhere over in Quartz and Estro like, yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now she sees it too.
0: <laughs> so uh, so uh, we, have, we have another email uh, from Scott and he says, hi, guys. It's been a while uh, since we connected. One and a half years. I've been in comics hiatus during this time. I was just wondering if the writing for Green Lantern has improved (laughs) during this time. I'm listening to your State of the Green Lantern episode to find out if it's worth jumping on at some point. Let me know what you think. Thanks. P.S. Still missing Sean Engel. We emailed back and forth for three years. Maybe it's not a coincidence I stopped reading comics shortly after he passed. Looking forward to listening to you guys again soon. So... Another reason I wanted to read this email uh, during this episode—we uh, received this on the 10th, so it wasn't that long ago. Um, this Twitter thread back and forth, we heard from Jesse. In this email, we heard from Scott, two guys we haven't heard from relatively in a while. So it was just nice to hear back from some of those familiar names and people that you know we've we've typically heard from a lot. Wondering where you guys went, but I'm, we're glad you're back. Um, the reason, another reason I wanted to bring this up, too, is because Scott also asks, is it worth it? In addition to Ralph and Jorge over on Twitter going, is it worth it to jump back in? And Mark laughed, and he, he, he very rightly has a right to and i laughing, too, because of all the problems we've been reading about, it's, it's it, it, personally Smooth probably not. sailing. <laughs> yeah. here's, the, here's the thing, though. I think the the answer to that question all comes down to how much do you really care about continuity? If you really care about continuity and things making making sense within this prescribed universe, even, let's just say F the DCU in general, just within the Green Lantern universe, if you don't really care about continuity much and you just want to get some relatively cool stories – out of it, some interesting storytelling, maybe some good characterization, some, oh, that was cool kind of moments. It's not that bad. I personally, at least from that viewpoint, would probably lean towards Green Lanterns over Hal Jordan and the Corps, only because I agree with what Mark's been saying in the past about uh, Venditti having like a lot of build-up, but not really you know, closing out these arcs very well. I feel like I came into that the Green Lanterns title going, I don't care about Simon. I really don't care about Jessica. And now I have my opinion about Simon hasn't really changed much. It might have moved slightly in a more positive direction, but not enough to where I care about him sticking around as a character. But my opinion on Jessica has completely changed. I do enjoy her. Uh, and I think some of those stories are cool. Like you get the Polaris stuff, and you got the Training Day arc, and you get this stuff with Volthoom. And like Mark said earlier in this this very episode, you know, it was the perfect character for Humphreys to get a, a handle on because, you know, for the most part, there wasn't really anything that to screw up with him. You know, he was a blank slate. So if you don't really care as much about continuity and you just want to read some relatively cool stories featuring a character or concept of a character that you're already familiar with and enjoy. I think this era of Green Lanterns is better than New 52.
1: Well, depending on I still think it's better than New 52. Oh, over overall because there were some good, you know, Van Jensen's core run was pretty good. The first part of I think Jordan's run on on uh, New Guardians, and I like, and I like New Guardians even before he took over. I thought that book was pretty decent from its inception until it ended. Charles
0: uh, Soule on Red Lanterns yes, after so was, Yes,
1: the second half of the Red Lantern run was was amazing, but the latter, but pretty much, pretty much. I mean, actually, let's be fair. I mean, you I hate to say it this way, other than the actual Green Lantern book. A lot of the stuff in the new Fifty Two wasn't was pretty good because we know Sinestro was excellent. Yeah, Lanterns, yeah, for sure. Red, Red Lanterns was really good from from Soul going forward. Core Van Jensen's run could have been better, but it wasn't his fault because he was under, you know, the stewardship of Van Ditty. And just when he was finally about to have the opportunity to kind of make that book more on his own and less tied to Van storyline, of course, that's when they got. Uh, Deep Six because of convergence. So really, being f- as fair as possible, it was really the Green Lantern book that was the most disappointing. Certainly, in the post the post Johns era of the New Fifty Two, that was the book. Really, that was the one that was most consistently uh, yeah not good. To be fair, so I mean,
0: and that's that's why that's exactly why I say it's it's all it has to boil down to how much you care about continuity because. And and, and and Scott mentions here about Sean, it's actually really fitting that he mentioned Sean, who we all very very much miss and, and everything. So I I do appreciate that, and I definitely understand you getting out of it if after he passed, if you know he was the person you emailed back and forth with so so frequently. But any of you who have listened to Sean's show or interacted with Sean. Know that when you brought up something Green Lantern, he had a huge passion, passion for Green Lantern. I mean, you have to to start a podcast, We're, and, and, and even to keep one going. Like, yeah, Mark and I bag on it, but we love Green Lantern. I don't think anybody out there, Myron, Sean, Mark and I, I don't think anybody out there does these podcasts, even if you're being negative about the the, the content that's currently out, because we have just this irrational hatred for it. We love these characters and concepts. That's why we do what we do. <clears throat> but when you told Sean about something, and I want to keep in mind guys, I don't I don't pretend to know Sean better than other people. I appeared on one of his episodes, he appeared on some of our shows. I, you know, I listened to several of his episodes. I wasn't listening as they came out because as I said, I was like at some point, the Lantern cast is going to cover these issues, and I don't want Sean's opinions to leak into my opinion. Uh, then when we finally do cover these issues, those thoughts subconsciously I pass off as my own. I don't want to do any of that. But when you told Sean a concept that was happening in the current title, Sean's reaction, for the most part, was, oh, that's really interesting. I want to see how that plays out. Sean's gut reaction to most things Green Lantern was out of love for the character and curiosity. Continuity came second. And that's the way it really should be. But when people ask us questions like, is it worth it to jump back in? When I say things like, it depends on how you feel about continuity, it's because I don't want you to feel the way I do about these things. If you care about continuity as much as I or Mark do, you might be pretty frustrated with it. But if you really just want to go at it as its own pure storytelling and its own thing, I think pretty good. I think they're fun. But as Green Lantern fans, as people who analyze these books, that's because that's what we do in this podcast. We review and we analyze and try and make sense within the context of the larger Green Lantern universe. Because let's face it, a lot of people who read these books today maybe not don't have. The experience. What would you say the percentage is, Mark? Like, uh, would you think that as large of a, a percentage of Green Lantern fans or green, people who read the Green Lantern books now, how, what percentage of them would you think have the a level of experience that you or I have with Green Lantern?
1: I'm not sure. It could be higher than one might suspect. You know, I would – I don't know. I mean I'd probably be at least fair to say it's probably maybe – maybe 40 maybe 40 to 50 maybe i'm being generous but i mean i think there's a lot of people that have long-standing interest in the characters and even if even if long long standing to them just goes back to maybe the john's era right that's still a significant chunk of time now i mean it's gonna i mean rebirth was what i think end of 2004 into 2005 i think green lantern (laughs) rebirth i believe uh, so we're st- we're still. I mean, that's a lo- that's a long time ago now. Since since Johns first started taking over the book, so that's a significant chunk of chunk of change even then. Or just somebody from from the Kyle era going forward. I mean, that's My- a significant chunk of change. So hmm. I I think it, there's a decent amount. There's a decent amount of. I mean, there's a good amount of knowledge, and I would say there's a good amount of uh a good percentage of listeners. I think who do know.
0: But that also leaves a huge percentage too to take into account that don 't know you know yes. so when we when we review these things and when we analyze them, we analyze them based on their own storytelling potential. Now keep in mind, Mark and i don't have experience in the comics field in writing those things <laughs> so we can only go so far into that process and whether it 's an actually good story or what the problems what, if the art would be if any, we do our best in that regard. So we tend to focus on our strengths, which is analyzing it in terms of the larger Green Lantern universe, and does it make sense? That's our strength. We know the Green Lantern universe. So that's what we're going to compare it to. So maybe some people out there are pretty dang new to Green Lantern and don't understand why we freak out the way we do about certain things. So if you're one of those people who are relatively new to this concept and or don't care that much about the continuity and just want to read a cool story in a cool setting with some characters that are relatively familiar to you or concept that's relatively familiar to you. I think it's, you're good. These are, these aren't, these aren't awful stories from that standpoint. So when Scott asks, When Jorge asks, when Ralph asks, if anybody else responds to that tweet after this show is done being recorded and asks these questions, do you care about continuity? If yes, maybe not for you. If no, they're fun stories. Enjoy.
1: Nicely put.
0: You had one thing you wanted to talk about before we wrapped up.
1: Oh yeah, um, it's uh, it's nothing nothing really major at all. But from this, I always try to look at things from both sides, and I think you do too. But we talked when we when we did our the War of the Planet of the Apes talk last week. As lengthy as it was, it's almost inevitable something was going to hit me the next day. Which I'll, usually it does in the next morning after we record. It's like oh, we should have should have looked at should have mentioned this. The only thing and we talked about the topic we just didn't look at it from this uh angle when we talked about how the apes turn their backs on caesar and we kind of looked at it from the caesar centric point of view and the just the general pack mentality point of view but we didn't really look at it from the apes point of view moving aside any natural uh like group think that's you know inherent in them based on you know who you know their species or anything to being fair there were legitimate reasons why they were unhappy with caesar <laughs> at that moment in time i mean they had genuine feelings of abandonment because being honest caesar did abandon him. <laughs> he he left he left his people to go off on a revenge mission which almost nobody knew what he was doing except for his inner circle who also abandoned the majority of the apes to go off with caesar so almost every so pretty much most of the apes didn't know what was going on other than their, their entire brain trust was, wasn't going with them so when they inevitably—well, not inevitably—but from a storytelling point of view, when and something inevitably goes wrong, that it makes perfect sense that they that they would be upset, either because a small portion might think, "Oh, Caesar, knew, Caesar knew this was going to happen, and that's why he didn't go with them." That would be the smaller percent, I would think. But you could have a decent chunk of the apes thinking, "Well, simply put, if Caesar hadn't left us, this wouldn't have happened." So then, when yeah. they, so then when they get all thrown together in the in the internment camp. That's really why they're giving him the cold shoulder, plus Caesar is beaten and broken inside at this point he's not exuding any reason why they should rally around him It's not like he's exuding even by body language going, yeah, we're in trouble, but i'll but I'm working on it
0: he was just, yeah that's why they, that's why they only rally around him when he stands up, yes, for that one ape that's being treated horribly in that yeah i, I don 't know what else to call it, but a concentration camp when when or, he, or a work camp
1: when, yeah when he when he Picks himself back up figuratively and literally, and he kind of embraces the you know the moral fiber that who, of, of who he is again, and uh, willing to p- sacrifice literally body and soul for his people. That's when the apes come back to him, and they come back to him really quickly. And the one difference between this and let's say Dawn was the fact that the apes didn't go to anybody else. They did not choose another ape over Caesar Caesar did not have to establish dominance or fight to gain control of the apes again, so it's almost like they wanted Caesar to take control again. They just needed him to basically almost like show that he still had it in him to do it, and when he did, then they went back to him so i so being fair looking at it from that point of view, I thought it was I thought it was I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that realistically speaking they were they were it wasn't just shallowness. Even though we have, we do know that the, the, it's been established in the three movies, there is a certain tendency to just jump ship when the, when it looks like the bread's buttered better you know, on the other side. But the reality is, there was a little bit more to it from a from a storytelling point of view. Why that happened, and I and I think it's only fair to show some gr- that was. Because that shows some growth in them culturally from where they started out that it wasn't just that they went to somebody who who promised to be stronger or they thought he was just weak, and that's why they left him. It was the circumstances that led to it, and then once he proved by his actions that he still was who he was and he still cared he didn't really emotionally he didn't abandon them. We know so they were able to overlook you know whatever the circumstances were that led to their capture and him going off on his own, and then they came back to him so I, that's all I wanted to mention just for the sake of balancing the kind of like the equation there. Uh
0: it's actually um the um it's fitting that you bring up that he he um he abandons them because this is something I wanted to mention in that episode and it's it's not super important but it was it was a thought I had that I didn't actually get around to saying. But it was a thought I had when the movie got to that point where where Caesar hands off uh, Cornelius to them and says, I'm out of here. The minute he does that, and they're all like, where's he going? What's going on? And they'll start freaking out. I thought of that quote from Confucius, the the one where it's like, before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Yes. The minute he left, I was like, okay, I know where this story is going. (laughs) Because he just – he just is like, all right, <laughs> it's I gotta, it, it's payback time. <laughs> and the minute he walks off with that gun in hand, I'm just that's the quote. That Confucius quote is what I thought of. And you could, good. I, I knew, I knew going into the movie, everybody, you know, even what you were saying, you know, this is, this is got because I think you mentioned it. I think was it on an episode of Pre Birth you were talking with uh, Jim about this before it came out. Like you, th- you thought it was going to be the end of his story? Yes. Or was it something we talked well, about? I think
1: we talked – I know we talked about it when we did the preview, when we did the, the movie, the, the, our, our top – our five list. I know I mentioned why I was kind of like – a little. Uh, my feelings were a little disingenuous about going to see this movie because of the fact that I anticipated him dying, and it's not something I necessarily wanted to see, even though, as we noted, they handled it about as well as you could.
0: Right, and because you had said that – I was going into the movie thinking okay Caesar's it's a it's a possibility Caesar's going to die. But as soon as he walks away and I thought of that quote I was like okay yeah at some point for sure Caesar's dead in this movie. <laughs> because I mean that's just that's it, it, it's a famous quote. I mean duh it's Confucius it's an ancient FM quote for a reason that has stood the test of time. But once you get to these revenge stories, boy, does it come into play. <laughs> so it was almost like the minute he walks off, it's a foregone conclusion because of that. It's like he's done. There's there's no way. <laughs> now, granted, like you said, it worked out better than or as well as it could have. Yes. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I was definitely expecting him to die <laughs> for sure. And and pretty early on in the movie because of that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and when you're talking about you know, how the apes are reacting when he's leaving, that, that fed into how – to the disgruntledness too because of the fact that you could see why that, that would create a lot of fear, tension, and anxiety just when your leader is going away and you don't know why. But then when everybody who, who you would trust to, take, to lead you in case he wasn't there, which was really horrible <laughs> decision-making, somebody should have stayed. Somebody in that group should have stayed because of the fact that they needed a leader.
0: Oh, you know what I was just thinking too. What? They're headed to this land that Blue Eyes and Rocket.
1: So Rocket's and absolutely Rocket the one who should. Are go, the
0: only he knows ones how to get there yeah. exactly? Blue Eyes is dead. Caesar walks off, and then Rocket also leaves. So the two people who have seen this land and know exactly how to get there are also like one of them's dead. <laughs> and the other one's like, "Oh, I'm going to go help Caesar." Uh, just go that general direction I'm sure you'll find it,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I just think it's i think from um in a way I mean, Caesar like we talked about Caesar is kind of a product of two of product of two different two different cultures, and in a way he doesn't really belong entirely. To either one even though at the guess at the end even at the end he doesn't entirely he's more ape than human but he still has a lot of those tendencies that and I think and it's but because but that also makes him more relatable from the audience point of view because there's so much humanity in him and he's so human in what he does because when you really think about it he is the architect of his own destruction on multiple levels throughout not so much the first movie. But certainly in the second movie and and in the third movie he really does he opens the door for a he you know like whole can of worms I mean the Koba stuff to begin with he you know if he he dealt with Koba differently,
0: then uh, th- he, he he dealt with Koba like a human. That's I mean isn't isn't forgiveness and. And benefit of the doubt and stuff. All isn't all of that just a human concept? Well, why would an why would an ape think of that?
1: Well, part. I think if you go back to the second one, I think he even says at one point he made the, he made a mistake with Koba, Not just he made a mistake partially because he had this. He he accepted. That apes were different. Apes were different than people, as in they were better than people. That the same commonalities, the same infighting, the same inability to let things go—that that was different with apes than it was with humans. And that's one of the things he found out. I think he mentions it when he's when he's back at Will's house after, either before or after they operate on him. That that's one of the things that he learned. That he the mistake he made was was not being able to realize that Koba couldn't get beyond the the, the pain and everything he suffered in the first movie when he was being experimented on because he believed apes were better and, and apes were and then he realized apes and people were essentially alike as far as the way they handle things so there was there was that element and yes the war may very may have started eventually no matter what but we don't know that we can only go with what happened in the movie and then in the third movie, in a way, you know, yes, maybe the apes would have been captured the same way if he had led them. They may very well have been. We don't know. But obviously, if he had not, not himself, but if he had, hadn't let that soldier survive in the beginning of the movie, he probably would have made it because it was his mercy that came back to bite him in the ass. Which I still think was a horrible plot point. They really shouldn't have had that happen. But. But nonetheless, unless you were going out of your way to to try to play up Caesar's, you know, his own weaknesses, it just seemed like it was not exactly the best message you wanted. When you're trying to show that compassion is one of his strongest characteristics, you shouldn't have that literally come around and bite him in the ass at the end to be what kills him.
0: Yeah, well, no, when the whole point of the movie is for you to root against your own species, <laughs> and that
1: was, and, and, and like we talked about this is, as this becomes a uh, Go Eight Part Two, that that was the problem. With, that was the biggest problem with Dawn because you're you're. All, and the marketing for Rise, it's like you're rooting against your own species by by the create by the way you targeted these movies and the direction you were taking them from the beginning. You knew the apes and Caesar in particular were the main characters and who you were rooting for. So it was stupid to market the first movie with the first trailer that he was this angry, disgruntled, plotting ape when that wasn't the case. And in the second movie. It would actually. It was even regardless of the marketing. It was really dangerous to have. Oh yeah, the apes started the war. It's like well, it's not as easy to feel. Yes, Caesar didn't start the war, but still, a lot of the apes were 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 grunts. They were lemmings. They would go either way. It wasn't just Coba's inner circle that was bad, but a lot of the apes that fought for Caesar fought for Coba then went back to Caesar. So it's not entirely, you know. Again, it's it's not the I'm just following orders excuse. I mean that that's applicable to the apes too. So it's not just it's not just you know when you're having the apes be the ones to start the war that was a re- like that was odd that was an that was an odd choice too it, that really was an odd choice and I'm not sure what the fatigue what how all these play all these factors played into how people, the box why the box office for this movie is across the board not just domestically but even foreign box office wise this movie is definitely underperforming compared to not just dawn right now but even rise despite the fact that it is a good movie and despite the fact that the reviews and certainly critic wise it's it's the best movie of the three based on the critics point of view that i I definitely
0: wouldn't agree with that
1: i would have (laughs) to think some of these parts some of these things all factored into why people were not and maybe just word them out that people were like we talked about people were expecting there to be this big fight at the end that there wasn't
0: yeah that's what i would that's what i would point towards the lack of of uh people going to see this movie is because it, it it says war for the planet of the apes. I mean, and the images you see. So I was at, when I was at Alamo waiting to go see the movie. So, you know, you have the the regular movie posters, they're framed or whatever. They also have some theaters. They have like big cardboard standees uh, of images. One of those, they had one of those for war for the planet of the apes. And that cardboard standee was like three standees wide.
1: Was that the one Caesar, again, on horseback, but the, leading the apes behind him? Was that that scene?
0: No, no. This is, this is the wall. This is the wall in front of the fortress where that shows a bunch of apes on the outside uh, fighting uh, up against some humans. Oh, okay. So essentially – It's like a, it's a big battle scene. Okay. There are some apes crawling up with like, some bows and arrows as well as some guns uh, kind of interspersed through them and then some humans in the picture. Like, it's a big like battle scene, which is the only thing I can possibly compare it to, to what actually happens in this freaking movie is what happens towards the end when there are some apes helping the renegade humans fight the other humans. That's the only thing I can think of.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say the only thing you were going to think of it reminded you at the beginning of the movie when there's actually a battle between the apes and the humans.
0: <laughs> that that too, but it, this image doesn't take place in a forest. Okay, that's, well... I th- oh, I yeah, no, that,
1: you're standee, you mean it doesn't stand, take place in the forest. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the standee I'm talking about. So the two images that I see associated with this movie, before going to actually see it, I first of all, I have my mental image of the title, War for the Planet of the Apes. Then I see Caesar in snowy background on horseback looking like he's about to ride into battle. Then I see this image. I mean, if that doesn't solidify in your mind the idea that humans versus apes, winner take all, (laughs) I don't know what does. That is true. So I think it's because word of mouth got out that Oh that's not what this movie is at all. <laughs> and that's why it's underperforming.
1: I I definitely think I definitely think that's one of the reasons. I think there like I said I wouldn't be surprised that there are a bunch of reasons here because it's certainly not from lack of, you know, critical uh word of mouth. So it has to so if it's And it's not and it may not be just word of mouth either just because it didn't have a great opening weekend, word of mouth you would think would tend to affect the following weeks more than the opening weekend or unless it was extremely top-heavy where it, was, it had a huge Friday and then it dropped kind of almost like sadly almost like what happened with Green Lantern when it had a pretty good Friday and then just dropped like a rock on Saturday and Sunday when it, if it had held the same amount of money like it did on Friday it would, have made, it would have made about as money as Thor did but because it dropped then it made slightly less than Thor and then just continued to obviously go in the toilet. There are a bunch of factors. I, It was good. I enjoyed it. It should have. It could have been different. It's, I think it should have been different. There were some choices in the movie I don't agree with uh, and but I do like I said, you have to, I give them credit for doing their best to respect the original franchise at the same time and try to connect the, t- the dots so that you could have a version, a version or another a universe in which or n universe in which a lot of this stuff could happen in similar if not exact uh, the exact same way.:
0: Gotcha. I, I sent you the image. Uh,
1: that's what the one I, I actually meant when I saw him on horseback. That's the one I meant.
0: Okay, okay, okay. That's what I saw, except it wasn't tall. It was wide. And that image, too. that They are riding towards each other. <laughs> that screams. It <laughs> downright visually says... Humans versus apes. That's <laughs> not at all we got.
1: No, I, and I and I do and I do think after a while, I do think you go to the, you can go to the well one time too many about false advertising or misleading, and I do think this may have been the one that came back and boomeranged on them. Um, and as we talked about with, with regards to movies before, sometimes, and it's not like people didn't like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but sometimes how people react to the part in a series. before, the previous part greatly impacts how they're going to go, how the, the re, how the reaction and their enthusiasm in for the part that comes after, and maybe some people really felt they got burned in part two because so many things that you were led to believe were, were going to happen even in part two and the way they were going to play and the way things were going to play out didn't, so maybe that made it maybe that did affect the enthusiasm for this movie. Maybe part of it also was yeah some people didn't want to see Caesar die and you kind of knew it was in, probably inevitable that he was going to die, but. It is what it is, but at least regardless, you know, regarding that point about you know, the apes, I felt it was it was it would only be fair to uh, give them their due because there were there were reasons psychologically and, and, and emotionally why they they would have uh, not been happy with Caesar at that point. It wasn't just being disloyal or jumping ship when when the going gets tough. So,
0: gotcha. All right. Well, as we crest the two hour mark for, for this episode, episode, we thought we was going to be super, super short. <laughs> Uh, which is we got a great conversation out of it so thanks twitter <laughs> thanks listeners uh who sent in all the feedback that we had uh, this episode to talk about um will go ahead and tell people how they can reach out to us if they want to <laughs> engender more conversation on the line
1: <laughs> lanterncast at gmail.com website is lanterncast.com um, you, you can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher, whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, 708 Lantern, let us know what you think.
0: All right, guys. Um, according to Mark and I's kind of reading of the situation, we can kind of do whatever we want for a little bit.
1: After next... After the next one,
0: after the next one, yes, uh, which is going to be how, how Hal. Yeah. Hal in the core. If we do, so, if we do how in the
1: core, then based on our based on our original tea leave reading of the calendar, we should be able to, in theory, pretty much alternate every other week from this point out between an issue review and whatever the hell we want to do, or an off week, or a spin-off or whatever we decide to do. That we should have leeway at least from now to the end of September. So. Um, so who knows? And my
0: research is mostly completed slash my research slash my notes is is pretty much done for the next episode of GLGA. So I just need to find the time to sit down and record and edit that. Um, so that may be one of the more recent uh, whatever the hell we want to do kind of episodes. Coming up pretty soon, so keep that in mind. I know we have a couple of other ideas too floating around. I know I got to send Mark a couple of comics, if uh, for one of them at the very least. Um, we do we have... want to talk about any of those, or
1: nah, should we just
0: let those go?
1: Yeah, let's leave because because we, we don't we don't have a time frame, so let's let's not. Maybe once we know we're actually recording it that week, we can let people know. Uh, we still there's still a possibility of us of uh, some kind of San Diego Comic Con. D twenty three wrap up, we could do that too. Um I know Jim wanted to do I know Jim which I think Jim would be interested in doing that one too, but I know Jim might also uh is could be interested in doing him and I going back and doing a toy thing, just talking about the toys and, and stuff, including I guess your your little your little statue reveal probably would be included in that too, all the stuff that came out from uh, Comic Con. So those those are all possibilities, but yeah, the good news is we're 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 in a good place as the inevitable march to 300
0: continues, <laughs> <laughs> and we did the math. We we should definitely hit 300 this year. So <laughs> well,
1: that's really going out in the limb there, Chad. At this point, <laughs> it's already 12 episodes away,
0: numbered episodes away. <laughs> yeah, uh, before this episode posts, actually, uh, well, I guess I can just add one. <laughs> As this episode posts. I think it's three hundred and fifty nine total episodes of the lantern cast so far Including so spin offs between all the spin offs and the zero episode and the half episodes and I mean yeah three hundred and fifty nine episodes of the lantern cast as as this episode posts Very so impressive. total so we're uh we're, we're, we're doing pretty well so Fair. uh Three hundred later this year, guys. Numbered episodes. So that's gonna be crazy. <clears throat> Alright guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night everybody. Good night.